From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Yeah, history tells you, right, that stocks go up no matter who wins. Six and 12 months post-election in any scenario, stocks are up even more than they are in a random six or 12 month. Underscore Ryan's point, right, we're not gonna sell stocks because of the election. Might you know, take the other approach and, and buy a dip. If election uncertainty causes more volatility here in the near term, we would view that most likely as a buying opportunity uh, based on what we know now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here. We have Jeff Bookbinder on as usual, but we do have a special guest. This is also a special podcast. We are going to focus purely on the election for the next 30 minutes or so. Barry Gilbert from our team is joining. So, Barry, you're the new guy. I don't know, Jeff and I were thinking of ways to kind of haze you, but I guess, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that in this day and age, but maybe there's something we could have done for you. But <laughs> nonetheless, Barry, you know, since you're new and people are probably tired of hearing Jeff and I week after week talk, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, we're going to get all the election stuff from you in a little bit, but just what do you do for our team and how do you help our more than 17,000 LPL advisors? Sure. Uh, I am the asset allocation strategist which means you got your bond guys, you got your stock guys, and uh, sometimes you got to figure out how much of the pie each of them get. Play a role in that, play a role in our fixed income uh, analysis, our Fed forecasts, market forecasts, uh, kind of a jack of all trades working with the, the rest of the team. No, that's right, yeah, we, we work, uh, the three of us work closely every day and it's it's a lot of fun. And anymore, we're also busy with, you got a meeting here, an email there, We. Uh, Text is just the easiest way to get a hold of each other half the time. So that's how we do it. But yeah, glad you could make it this week, Barry. So um, again, I think this week, I guess, this is because we already did our weekly podcast. This is, again, a special podcast focusing on the election. Clearly, we've had a lot of discussions about it. I mean, every week for the last month or so, Jeff and I've carved out some time to talk about the podcast, but I'm sorry, to talk about the election. But this one, we're really going to just focus on the election and kind of have a, a preview. So let's kind of, you know, some of this stuff might be some of the stuff that Jeff and I have talked about before. Before, but we want to make sure we cover all the bases. October historically is known for some surprises. And as we do show this now on YouTube, you can see we are showing that October historically, it's a bad rap, right? Because it's had these spectacular crashes, 29, 87, 2008. October 2011 was actually a huge monthly gain. There was some big gains too. It's really about an average month. But during an election year, you tend to get a little bit of a apprehension and it is the weakest month of the uh, year. So Jeff, October is known for surprises. I guess, what's what do you think your October surprise is? Is it President Trump getting COVID or the stimulus package dead? Now it's back alive. I mean, what, what, what do you think on the surprise front for October so far? Or is there another one to come? Let's hope not, but maybe something else is happening later we don't know about. Yeah, hopefully the October surprise will be some good news on a vaccine. You know, the FDA you uh, is, is tightening up uh, their criteria for emergency use authorization. So we may not get approval by the election, but it's still possible. Uh, I mean, but at this point, you have to say that uh, Trump's diagnosis was the October surprise. Uh, I don't think anything will surprise us on the stimulus front. It seems like the situation changes uh, every day. So I know we're going to talk about that uh, more here. 
Yeah, I think by the time we're done talking, we might have new new news on the stimulus front. Uh, there's a chance of that. But don't forget, this is the fourth quarter, as we talked about in the podcast the other day. Historically, the fourth quarter is the best quarter of the uh, year out of the four. And it is also an election year, as everyone is well, well aware. Fourth quarter during an election year has actually been higher 82% of the time, which is higher than your average fourth quarter. So, yes, there's a lot of things happening every election year. But clearly in 2020, there's a lot but don't forget that um, once you get through the rockiness of October and the certainty of a president, notice how I emphasize the word certainty of a president, we might not have that certainty. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But November and December tend to do pretty good. So, Barry, let's bring you on. Yesterday, um, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. So yesterday, Tuesday afternoon, President Trump tweeted that the, uh, you know, I guess it's the fifth coronavirus stimulus bill is what I'll call it. Some people call it the fourth. But nonetheless, the next stimulus bill was over just to focus on the Supreme Court. Now we come in Thursday, and as the time we're recording, the stocks are bouncing back because apparently that wasn't totally true. Uh, Barry, kind of what did you think about yesterday, and is it was it an overreaction uh, by the stock market because now maybe there's more stimulus still coming? What do you think about what we've seen in the last 24 hours there? Well, at the very least, if we didn't already know it, uh, we learned that the market cares about the, uh, the stimulus. Uh, both yesterday's uh, sell-off, and we were doing okay yesterday before the announcement and today's bounce back, all came around stimulus uh, news. And that message is uh, is clear. Um, and I think President Trump heard that message and, and he's responding to it. So market gave us the same message that the heads of central banks have given us, uh, that it, it can't just be about monetary stimulus um, that the, uh, the economy still needs a little help, a little bit of a bridge to, uh, to get to the other side. Uh, everyone's unanimous, but unfortunately, it's become a, a political football uh, at this point. So we're probably going to see more back and forth. Uh, I would still say that the odds are that we're not going to get a stimulus package before the, uh, the election. Uh, eventually, they'll we'll probably get it done now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and I pointed this out the other day, but I want to reiterate it. Disney just laid off 28,000 people. Allstate, 4,000. Shell, 9,000. Goldman Sachs, 1% of their workforce, which is 400 people. Airlines, anywhere between 30 and 50,000, although, again, there could be some help coming for airlines. And then Regal Cinemas announced they're closing all 536 of their theaters. That comes out to 45,000 people worldwide, 20,000 here in the U.S. So it's very, very clear when you see uh, those types of headlines and the sad, sad truth is there are probably going to be more coming. Um, you, you realize that, yes, monetary policy is there. The Fed has done a lot of different things, but we do need some type of uh, help from, from the government, from Congress. Now, Jeff, I'm a big fan. First of all, Barry or Jeff, is it Tim Dewey, D-U-Y? How do you pronounce his last name? Is it Dewey, you think, or am I dead wrong in that? Hi, <laughs> right. But I don't know yeah. for sure. Yeah, okay. Well, let's go, Tim Dewey. I'm I a just huge read him. Fan I haven't talked to him. Yeah, yeah. We've quoted him before. He's uh, he's got a, a Fed. Um, I guess a Fed watch is what they call it. He's a professor at the University of Oregon, and he his one that he just wrote. I guess yesterday he said this, Jeff. Jeff's coming to you in a second. Uh, what I think is happening is that Trump did not willingly kill the stimulus talks. Instead, he's yielding to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. McConnell's repeatedly resisted a large package. He can't deliver his caucus on a stimulus deal that is acceptable to Democrats. Any package acceptable to Democrats, he'd, he would have to move without the support of a large portion of Senate Republicans. And some Democrats are unhappy with a smaller package. Um, also, he says, 
Why, though, would Senate Republicans be willing to risk close races if they were to drop off? He says he thinks it's arguably the case that at this point, another stimulus package won't change the election. You probably can't get the checks out the door fast enough, so maybe it's not even worth the fight anymore. I mean, Jeff, you want to build on, I, I can't disagree with some of the things he said there. You want to build on some of those comments? Probably the first time you've heard it, so I'm making you, you know, on your toes here. But what do you think? Is it just not even worth going through stimulus anymore? And that's maybe why the president said what he said yesterday, but the stock market reacted the way, and now he's on a little olive branch. But I don't know, you know, it's, it's politics. What do you think? Yeah, well, first, uh, the stock market matters. Uh, you know, it's been a good predictor of elections. And so President Trump certainly wants to be careful not to hurt the stock market mm -hmm. too much. That may be part of why he tweeted that, um, you know, we he wants more stimulus, even if it's piecemeal. I guess yep. my other thought on that is um, the Senate is not getting enough attention, probably. You know, it's been all about Mnuchin and Pelosi. Uh, right. But, um, you know, some senators, Republican senators have to be on board. Uh, so maybe... You know, throwing the, the ball over to them uh, to try to get something done um, is, you know, a good way to move forward. Uh, it's, you know, there are a lot of close Senate races right now. And, um, you know, you can make the case that those Senate Republicans need need a win. Uh, yes. You know, potentially stimulus could get them uh, that win. But you could also, you know, make the case on the Democratic side the same the same story. The the Senate really looks like pretty close to a coin toss uh, at this point. Um, that'll be really important to watch. No, exactly. As of right now, 53 Republicans in the Senate, 45 Democrats, two independent, with one third of all those seats being uh, contested at this upcoming election. So there's a potential, obviously, for a sway there. You know, Barry, one of the things that I'm hearing, um, or we're all hearing, let me read it so I read it correctly is if we get a blue potential blue wave, is that a worry for tech? Now, here's what I want to read. Following a 16-month investigation into competitive practices at Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple, House Democrats released a widely anticipated and widely previewed report that concluded the big four tech companies enjoy monopoly power, and Congress should uh, bring changes to antitrust laws to reverse this concentration. That doesn't sound like a bullish development. <laughs> <laughs> for the fang stocks. Um, you know, I guess some of this is, are we going to get a blue wave? We'll maybe go there in a second. Let's just hypothetically say we get a blue wave. We're not, we're going to talk about that in a second. Hypothetically, are these, is, are the Democrats coming after the big tech, big tech names and should, should investors that have been so happy with the gains in the fang stocks be on edge? Cause I'm getting this question a lot and I know you are too. What do you think? Yeah, it's uh, for the type of regulation that they're talking about. It's a uh, it's a long road. It's going to have to go through uh, a lot of steps. Uh, I do think it's right that there is more risk here uh, if there's a if there's a blue wave. Um, but uh, I think one of the key phrases that you read there is that uh, this was a report that was put together by House Democrats. Uh, so that's the emphasis right now. Obviously, their voice is going to be more important if we actually do have a blue wave. But uh, it is a long road for uh, for this type of regulation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jeff, you have anything to chime in there? I mean, because you've mentioned before, fundamentally, tech is the true all-star in terms of price action, but in terms of uh, earnings growth that we've been seeing, I believe they're supposed to see 5% earnings growth this year in tech, which doesn't sound great. Then you realize that's like the best earnings anyone's going to have out of the 11, 11 sectors. What do you think from the sentiment, uh, fundamentals, valuation point of view on technology here? We still like tech a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 
this is a lot of headline risk. I mean, you, you probably need to have um, a blue wave and the elimination of the filibuster to break up the big tech names. And that is very unlikely, we think. Possible, sure, uh, but, but unlikely. So we're not too worried uh, about um, the regulatory risk from tech. I mean, we frankly, you know, financial services might be uh, a little bit of a bigger worry in terms of regulation. Uh, so we'll certainly have to see uh, where that goes. I, th I think we should probably talk about some of these policy areas that could really, um, um, you know, differ depending on the outcome uh, on November 3rd. Yeah, we're going to go there in a second, but that's 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 where we're at. Well, maybe let's head there now. I want to head there now. Well, actually, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about, I guess, then we'll kind of go on what policy and who wins, what could happen. And that's the battle with the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, some of the something else that Tim Dewey pointed out was maybe it's not even worth. And President Trump actually tweeted this. It's not really worth focusing so much now if the two sides are just truly so far apart as it becomes a stimulus. Well, let's just go get that um, next uh, Supreme Court justice on. And how did Tim put it? Let me read it here. He said, it's always risky to speculate on Trump's motivations. But at this point, he's probably counting that the Supreme Court seat to keep him in power in the event of a contested election. And McConnell said, do you want the stimulus or ABC? Trump would probably choose the latter. So, Barry, back to you. I mean, is, 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 does it make sense? If we have a contested election, Trump might want to have his own person on that seat. So maybe he's realizing that, um, you know, there's some, some, some minutiae there. But at the same time, I don't know. What do you think about the Supreme Court? Uh, you know, it, it is possible that we have the kind of dispute that will have a strong partisan lead. We certainly saw that in 2000. Uh, what people don't realize about the court is that most decisions in the Supreme Court, when they decided, are either 8-1 or 9-0. Uh, that is, they, they agree on a lot more uh, of the law than they actually disagree. Uh, just that things that they disagree on are some things that are contentious and very important to people. And so that's the, uh, the high-profile cases. If it's a clear matter of law, it doesn't matter, uh, but there is the possibility that there is some kind of partisan lean there. Um, but it's all on the assumption that uh, whatever challenge is out there is something that could actually rise to the level of the Supreme Court. Uh, and it's not clear that that's what's going to actually happen. So does it potentially help him on the margin if we get a unlikely outcome? Uh, I think the answer is probably uh, yes. I, I would probably go for the stimulus. Uh, I think that that has more chances of uh, of having an impact. The other place where the court actually has an impact, though, and, and this has already happened, is that uh, it's actually uh, raised the chances, even though we still think it's quite remote, um, that we might see the filibuster go. Right. Um, personally, I don't think that uh, that is uh, that's good for our federal government. Um, there are a lot of mixed opinions on that, uh, but because it would be a way to pack the court, increase the number of Supreme Court justices, and that would really be the only avenue for that. You know, maybe just at the margin, the odds of that happening have come up just a little bit, but uh, we still think it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, you know, just for listeners who, who chime in and they like the stats and the banter, what you use two things I want to make sure people are aware of. What exactly does stack the court mean? And what is filibuster? What is, you know, getting rid of the filibuster? I mean, you know, 10, 15 seconds, if you can, on both of those, Barry, just to make sure everyone understands what we mean when we uh, start talking about those two things. Yeah, we have nine justices on the court right now. You, uh, you could have 10, you could have 11, you could have 13. 
Uh, nine is not a, a given number that's required. As a matter of fact, uh, we have had uh, over our history a different number of justices on the uh, on the court. Uh, if uh, Barrett gets uh, confirmed, then you know, by the traditional lines of who's conservative and who's liberal, the, the conservatives have a 6-3 majority. Uh, turnover on the court is slow, uh, so the only way it could be balanced out if that was your aim was to actually increase the, the size of the court. Uh, and then when it comes to the, uh, the filibuster, uh, you know, there are certain times when you're trying to make a bill into a law where you actually don't need just a simple majority, uh, but you actually need 60 votes. There are some places where you just need a simple majority as, uh, as well. Um, we saw that with the passage of the, of the CARES Act, but there are a lot of important things where you need to get to 60, uh, and it's the rule around the filibuster that makes that possible. Uh, good points there. So, Jeff, let's go forward then. Um, you know, we wanted to keep today's about a half hour or so because there's a lot of important things. We're going to kind of move forward. We're going to now talk about if we'll, we'll start with Joe Biden, if Joe Biden wins, if President Trump wins, and then if there's kind of a chaos potential situation. So, um, you know, here are some on the screen on on. Uh, YouTube, we are sharing some of the, the potential things that we see. So Joe, or J Joe, Joe Biden, Jeff, too many J's out here. I don't know. I've been talking a lot this morning so far. Jeff, if Joe Biden were to take the uh, White House, what do you, you mentioned policy. I mean, you were talking about that earlier. What are some of the big policy shifts that we could see? And I'm aware, or we're aware, it probably depends on if we get the blue wave or not, but just what big picture, what are some of the things you're on the lookout for here? So taxes is the big one, Ryan. Um, we could... Um, see one of the biggest uh, tax increases in history. Uh, you know, the the Biden plan is about four trillion. But um, I was actually on a call with um, um, with uh, Jason Furman uh, the other day, the former um, economic advisor to President Obama. He actually thinks we might get less of a of a tax increase, maybe something more like two two and a half trillion. In fact, the corporate rate. Most people think. Biden will get 28 percent. Um, you know, if you have the the, the Democratic sweep, uh, could be less than that uh, potentially. You know, again, if we if we still have the filibuster, so um, I think that's really interesting. The other point I want to make on taxes, uh, and you know, we're not just talking about higher corporate rates. We're talking about you know capital gains, dividends, or you know regular income taxes uh, on uh, incomes above 400 thousand. So th this would be uh, a huge uh, wave of, of tax increases. But I think what's important for investors to realize is that, you know, while you, you know, if you do the math and you take 10% out of earnings, of course, that should hurt stocks, uh, even though maybe a little bit of that risk is, is priced in. But there's an offset to that, uh, and, and that's in terms of more spending, right? A lot of those tax dollars are going to go into green energy products, going to help, in, you know, go into infrastructure projects. Uh, and there will be revenue for S&P 500 companies attached to that. Um, so we would caution folks uh, who may just, um, you know, want to take 10% out of the stock market overnight uh, just based on uh, the tax increases alone. And of course, it's, you know, the Senate really holds the key. So, you know, even if you think um, Biden right now is the favorite, um, you really have to look at that Senate race uh, to be able to factor in these tax increases. Uh, exactly. On YouTube, we are sharing the chart that this year's earnings are supposed to be 132 on the S&P. Next year, 162. If the Joe Biden uh, tax increases take place, it goes down, I'll say down, to 146. 
but you could have a removal of the Chinese tariffs, right? And if you have a removal of Chinese tariffs, earnings are 154. A lot of numbers there. But again, to think that just because there's higher taxes coming, what is the stock market like? We've seen for 10 years what the stock market likes. Spending, right? President Trump likes to spend. Joe Biden likes to spend. Both parties apparently like to spend anymore. So I think that's something that's really, really important to note. Now, uh, I want to bring Barry back in. Barry, so that was kind of the policy side of things. From an investments point of view, and I know this is the book. I always like to point this out. When President Trump won, the book said financials would do well, energy do well, steel, coal would do well and tech would do poorly. Well, the exact opposite's happened for four years. So just take this with a grain of salt. But Barry, in theory, if, if, if Joe Biden wins, which sectors do you think investors should be maybe sniffing around a little bit more? Yeah, we, we have the highlights here. Uh, I think one of the keys you said, uh, markets like spending. Uh, President Trump has, has talked about an infrastructure bill, but uh, and it's something that I think he wants to get done, but it's not uh, as high a priority. Uh, it's not something that he has uh, pursued very strongly. We think that the infrastructure bill would be a, a higher priority. Uh, so we'd actually see that got, uh, get done and uh, we would expect sectors that are exposed to that type of bill to do better, which does include some of those uh, those cyclical sectors. Renewable energy, even that ties into the infrastructure bill because there's a, a green emphasis in uh, Biden's version of the bill um, we've already seen movement around renewable energy uh, just with changing election expectations. It's, it's been kind of a, a barometer of, of how we're doing. A uh, little bit more open with trade. Uh, we expect a lot of the policies with China would continue, but uh, maybe the manner of negotiating around those policies would, would be a little bit different. Uh, so probably more of an emphasis on, uh, on free trade. Uh, and uh, we've put in some of the other key factors there as well. Yes, exactly. So, you know, let's wrap things up on the, on the Democratic side of things. I mean, you know, could there really be a blue wave? We're going to show now that, I mean, believe me, anything's possible. It's 2020. And that's the way the polls are, are showing. But the concern, the potential concern we've had at LPO Research is if there's a blue wave, if there's higher taxes, like, like Jeff said, should I just sell? Should I get out? I mean, don't forget, when we had, I guess, call it the red wave, when the Republicans won in 2016 with a red wave, what happened? Right, there were concerns about too much, you know, concerns about President Trump policies and what, what it, negatives it could have. S&P went up 15 months in a row, the all-time record. Now, on, on YouTube, we're showing right now, after previous times, you've had a blue wave. That's, again, a Democratic president with both chambers of the House. You know what's happened? Stocks tend to do really, really well. They've been higher every single time. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in a row back to Jimmy Carter, the last time the S&P was lower when you had a blue wave. So there's every time is different. This is a 100-year pandemic, and there are lots of scenarios. We understand that. But to just blindly say, I'm going to sell my stocks because of the blue wave or because I don't like President Trump, either way, a lot of people did that for eight years under President Obama, went into gold. That didn't work so well. Four years with President Trump, we've had 150, almost 150 new highs on the S&P. And honestly, as we speak, the S&P is not that far from an all-time high again. So a lot of people might have missed those gains. It's important to um, separate, I guess, you know, your election vote from your investments. I know that's very difficult to do, but I think we've stressed that time and time again on market signals. I want to just do that one more time. So, Jeff, let's bring you back in. What happens, you think, um, You well... How about this? How about, Jeff, you do the investment side of thing and maybe Barry will do the policy. We'll flip it up. So from an investments point of view, what do you see happening potentially if President Trump were to uh, retake the White House here in a couple of weeks, Jeff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, history suggests that 
incumbent victories are better for the stock market. There's more policy uncertainty. You continue the policies that have been put in place over the prior four years. Uh, stocks, as I mentioned, are good predictors of election outcomes. We're actually up about three points on the S&P 500 since um, the start of August, right. that three-month period. August, September, October is the is the key predictor of election outcome. So that's a point in favor of, uh, of President Trump. Um, obviously, we still got another four weeks or so to go. Um, so we can't necessarily put that in the Trump column just yet. But, um, you know, certainly if um, if Trump wins, the, the certainty around uh, the outcome and the continuity around the policy would um, you know, likely be uh, good for stocks. But that doesn't mean that stocks can't go up uh, in a Biden win scenario. You, you know, got you know, history tells you, right, that stocks go up no matter who wins. Uh, six and 12 months post-election in any scenario, uh, stocks are up even more than they are in in a random six or 12 month uh, period. Over 80 uh, percent of the time you've had gains over those periods. Uh, and uh, a lot of them have been pretty, pretty strong. Um, so, um, you know, to underscore Ryan's point, right, we're not going to sell stocks because of the election might you know, take the other approach and, and buy a dip if election uncertainty causes more volatility here in the near term, we would view that most likely as a buying opportunity uh, based on what we know now. Um, you know, trend, you, you just mentioned, Ryan, it's tough to pick sectors and asset classes based on the election. You know, energy in particular is tough right. because, you know, more production can bring prices down. Uh, I, I would say healthcare and financial is probably the most sensitive. Um, financials probably would applaud uh, a Trump win and on the healthcare front, it really depends on, as almost everything does, on what happens in the Senate. Um, but whether we get an expansion of the ACA uh, potentially, uh, or um, you know, we get a public option to compete with for-profit uh, private health insurers, that is a big question. If you get a Trump win, that should be good for healthcare, taking away uh, that uncertainty. And then last point on healthcare. Prescription drug prices are probably going to be, um, you know, regulated lower here, no matter who wins. So that's on the margin negative for uh, pharma companies, but that really has been out there and well known for quite some time. Uh, good points there. You mentioned, you know, potential clues. I mean, solar stocks have really been strong. Again, that's potentially a Joe Biden. A market sniffing around a Joe Biden potential victory. And it's almost like technology. Everybody wants to talk about technology. Um, you know, tech's done well under President Trump. We've, we've seen that for four years now. I think it probably would have done better under Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, nonetheless, you know, maybe you could say tech is, you know, it's less bad for tech if, if President Trump were to win, given some of the things we just talked about earlier, uh, potentially with a blue wave and Joe Biden. Um, now, Barry, I'm going to go to you in a second. I just want to build on what Jeff said. You know, stocks predicting the election. I mean, we've talked about this before, but if you look at the S&P three months before the election, and if it's up, the incumbent party wins. If it's down, the incumbent party loses. Kind of simple. Sometimes simple is kind of the way to go. And sure enough, 20 of 23 times, stock market's been right. And as Jeff just mentioned, if you start the clock from August 3rd until about the time we're recording this, S&P is up 3%. Big gains in, in August, big sell-off in September. So far, October has lived up to the volatility. Um, and there's a long way to go there. But, you know, again, that's just something to be aware of that kind of how stocks are doing the next couple of weeks 
maybe is one clue that if, if President Trump were to lose, you'd see more of a sell-off in stocks. If he were to win, maybe a little bit more strength. And again, it's never never that simple, but still, it has a pretty decent-sized track record. And we're going to get into some other charts that we see that do favor Joe Biden. But at least right now, you have to say equities potentially favor um, a potential President Trump win, or maybe not even President Trump win, just a much, much closer election than what some of the polls are telling us. So, so Barry, um, back to you now. Uh, under a President Trump win on policy, we kind of know his policies, maybe not a ton of new stuff here, but any new policy you can expect from President Trump here? Uh, new in the sense of more, uh, not new in the sense of different. Uh, you know, there will continue to be a policy push. Uh, we've, uh, we've seen President Trump's priorities for the last four years. We're going to see a push in the same direction, uh, additional deregulation, uh, probably areas where there will be a push to uh, further decrease taxes, um, the uh, trade emphasis that that he has will probably continue, um, you know, an emphasis on, uh, I think, what he would call uh, free but fair trade, but uh, from traditional standards, uh, less of an emphasis on free trades. The pressure on China will probably ramp up. So, uh, more of the same, not new policies, but an extension of the policies that he's already introduced. Good stuff there. Makes sense. Let's kind of go through. Now we'll kind of finish things up with what we'll call maybe a few of our favorite charts or kind of the more popular charts that we've shared. Uh, Jeff, tell me a little bit about if the stock market's saying potentially um, the race will be closer than we think with the strength saying maybe the President Trump's closer uh, to potentially a victory, at least keeping it close. What's the economy tell us historically and kind of right now uh, with the election, you think? Yeah, the famous James Carville quote, right? It's the mm -hmm. economy stupid. Uh, yep. When you have a recession right before the election, incumbents tend to lose. That's happened. You can make a case that that's happened every election for 100 years uh, right. with every recession uh, because the uh, the Coolidge election was, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he took over for a recession that was already already kind of in the books. Uh, so that is a very powerful indicator of elections. That would, of course, favor Joe Biden here. Uh, but what makes that uh, makes me hesitate a little bit on that is because we're going to have such strong economic momentum going into the election. I mean, we could have a 30% GDP print, best quarterly GDP print ever. Uh, and certainly we've had, um, you know, significant job gains coming off the uh, you know, the trough of the recession in March, April. So um, we, we wouldn't, you know, strongly put that in um, the Biden column, uh, given the momentum, but certainly uh, uh, the fact that we just came out of recession tends to favor Biden looking at history. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so Barry, if you look at approval ratings, President Trump's approval ratings have been low uh, since the debate um, last week. They've, they've dripped a little bit lower. You know, it, I guess this is kind of fairly simple, but on YouTube, we share it. When you have low approval ratings like Bush one and Carter did, they did not get much of the vote. Whereas Johnson, Reagan, Nixon all had fairly high approval ratings. And if you look at the two party vote, they took a lot of the two party votes. So this one favors Joe Biden. You want to build on kind of approval ratings and why they matter here? Uh, yeah, clearly, if you have a better approval rating, it means that the job that you're doing uh, has higher approval and people would want to see it continue. And uh, historically, higher approval, bigger share of the vote, and the, the other way around. Uh, this one tilts towards Joe Biden, but uh, it's actually pretty close right now. Um, it's under that uh, that 50% mark, but uh, 
you throw in the impact of the Electoral College, uh, which we, we know favors uh, President Trump, uh, and it actually might mean that things are a lot closer, uh, but uh, President Trump's approval rating is certainly not supportive right now. Absolutely. I'll chime in on the U.S. dollar just quickly. Then, Jeff, I'll go to you and we'll kind of wrap things up. Similar to, to the um, discussion we just had about stocks. If stocks are up, it favors the incumbent party. If stocks are down, um, it favors you know, potentially new leadership in the White House. Well, the U.S. dollar is somewhat similar to that. And you think about March, the U.S. dollar was really strong. OK, gold got killed. Stocks got killed. Bonds got killed in March. Everything was down except the U.S. dollar. It's the ultimate risk off trade. Almost like there's some monster under the bed. There's some uncertainty. There's something coming. We don't know. So let's go to the dollar because we feel safe. Historically, that's exactly how things have played out. It's let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven of the last eight um, elections that we had. The U.S. dollar predicted them. What I mean by that, again, if the dollar's up, you tend to see a new person in the White House or a new party in the White House. If the dollar's down, things are calm, things are normal, you tend to have that uh, party win. Now, the dollar is virtually flat, just to make this more fun, from where it was back on August 3rd. So we had you know, a strength in the dollar. The dollar sold off a little bit lately. So again, this is just one of those other things maybe to pay some attention to if we get some major moves in the currency markets that might give a clue. Also, copper, now this is for this year, but remember 2016, copper had a record 14-day win streak directly ahead of that election in 2016, like directly ahead of it. That was a infrastructure President Trump potential play. I mean, we, I didn't notice at the time, I'll be very honest, but after the fact I did. So copper sniffed it out. The stock market had a nine day losing streak ahead of that election. The Dow did, one of the longest losing streaks ever. Now there weren't huge losses, but down nine in a row is down nine in a row. And again, so the markets were saying maybe there's a much better chance for President Trump than everyone was giving them given the given thought at the time. And again, as we get closer, follow the dollar, follow these things, keep coming to market signals every single week. Believe me, we will be talking a lot about these uh, these different signals. And who knows, might be some new ones that we dust off before long. So Jeff, let's kind of wrap things up. Higher income, people making more money, that tends to mean they vote in the guy who's in there. Again, I don't think this is rocket science. Apparently, if you look at, let's see, your higher, uh, real per capita disposable income, it's up 7% this year, one of the largest we've ever seen. Tell me why there's probably an asterisk next to that. <laughs> but also, what do you think? It, it might favor President Trump a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, th this one's really tricky because it's, it's stimulus driven, right? Mm -hmm. We had... Right. Um, income replacement from, you know, supplemental um, jobless benefits, et cetera. So um, you had this huge boost to incomes. It certainly helped um, retail sales get back to their pre-pandemic levels. But um, stimulus started to fade last month, and, and it's probably um, going to continue to fade because, as right. we're seeing in the news, uh, we're unlikely to get um, stimulus before the election. And even if you get agreement on a framework on stimulus, you're probably not going to have those checks hit people's balance sheets or, or bank accounts uh, in time. So, um, you know, this one favors Trump now based on the, you know, the latest numbers we have, but um, it's probably going to reverse here, um, you know, with the next couple of months of data. So we'll just have to see. It's, it's really, um, <laughs> this one could go either yes. way. You know, you don't like to say, this time it's different, but with regard to this one, uh, this time is definitely different. Yeah, Sir John Templeton, the foremost dangerous words in investing. 
this time is different. This isn't quite investing, but nonetheless, it, it really is different. All right, so let's make predictions. Who's going to win? I'm teasing. We're not going to we're, we're not going to go there. Here's my prediction. I think you know. I think Joe Burrow is going to set some records for passing and touchdowns as a rookie. I'm a Bengals fan. I'm fully aware, but I think he's he's the real deal. If we can keep him up, right? So that's my prediction. Jeff, your prediction on the Chiefs? They're going to repeat or not? Oh, if, if they can keep uh, Patrick Mahomes healthy, I'm going to call for a repeat. You heard it here. You and, uh, Barry, you are a Steeler missed- fan. I, oh, oh, you're a Steeler fan, right? So how the Steelers are undefeated, right? Aren't they undefeated? Or, or- <laughs> Tell you the truth, with uh, with this COVID-impacted season, I'm, I'm not even sure. Yeah. But I know the Steelers make- are good again. We'll leave it at that. Are they going to make the playoffs, make some noise, you think? We'll make some predictions here. We're just going to go the election route on our predictions One today. important prediction, they will beat the Bengals twice. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I tell you what, well, that's like, remember last week I wore my Patrick Mahomes. I was going to say, here we go. So here, this, it was by popular demand. There's my Patrick Mahomes. If you don't know at all what I'm talking about, Jeff beat me in uh, fantasy football uh, this past weekend, and I had to dress as Patrick Mahomes. I had glasses on last time, but so you can see that 15 in there somewhere. There's a headband. It's kind of hard to see, but there, there's my Patrick Mahomes out, outfit there. So I'm going to take that off. There we go. All right, well, everybody, uh, Jeff and Barry, thanks so much for joining this week. Everybody, thanks for your continued listenership and viewing this podcast. And please give us a like, give us a, a positive comment, follow us, um, you know, all the places you get your podcasts and or on YouTube. We really greatly appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed this week's special election-focused podcast. We'll be back next week. And actually, next week, uh, it's my anniversary. So my wife and I are going up to the mountains. So I'm going to leave next week's podcast to Barry and Jeff. If they mess it up, don't blame me, but it'll be just Jeff and Barry next week on the podcast. I'm taking a, it's 14, it's a 14th year. It's like, eh, you know, we're still going somewhere. My mom's down here watching the kids. We're going to head up to the mountains for a day and a half, about 36 hours, get a little, get away for a little bit. So I don't even care about this podcast Monday. I'm, I'm teasing. I care about it, but I'm, I'm going to take a well-deserved break. So everybody, thanks again for being here. Jeff and Barry will be back next week on Monday and we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarded the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Opel Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC, insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. 
not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.